0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Pat Elder, San Antonio, Florida, March 2007. Part Five, Chapter Eight: The Voyages of Doctor Doolittle. The Hanging Stone. But the changes in the hearts of the Bag Jagderags was really sincere. The doctor had made a great impression on them, a deeper one than even he himself realized at the time. In fact, I sometimes think that that speech of his from the palace steps had more effect upon the Indians of Spider Monkey Island than any of his great deeds which, great though they were, were always magnified and exaggerated when the news of them was passed from mouth to mouth. A sick girl was brought to him as he reached the place where the boats lay, She turned out to have some quite simple ailment which he quickly gave the remedy for, but this increased his popularity still more, and when he stepped into his canoe, the people all around us actually burst into tears. It seems, I learned afterwards, that they thought he was going away across the sea, for good, to the mysterious foreign lands from which he had come. Some of the chieftains spoke to the popsy petals as we pushed off what they said i did not understand but we noticed that several canoes filled with bag jagderags followed us at a respectful distance all the way back to Popsipetel. the doctor had determined to return by the other shore so that we should thus be able to make a complete trip round the island's shores shortly after we started while still off the lower end of the island we sighted a steep point on the coast where the sea was in a great state of turmoil white with soapy froth on going nearer we found that this was caused by our friendly whales who were still faithfully working away with their noses against the end of the island driving us northward we had been kept so busy with the war that we had forgotten all about them But as we paused and watched their mighty tails lashing and churning the sea, we suddenly realized that we had not felt cold in quite a long while. Speeding up our boats, lest the island be carried away from us altogether, we passed on up the coast, and here and there we noticed that the trees on the shore already looked greener and more healthy. Spider Monkey Island was getting back into her home climates. About halfway to Popsy Petal, we went ashore and spent two or three days exploring the central part of the island. Our Indian paddlers took us up into the mountains, very steep and high in this region, overhanging the sea, and they showed us what they called the whispering rocks. This was a very peculiar and striking piece of scenery. It was like a great vast basin or circus in the mountains, and out of the center of it rose a table of rock with an ivory chair upon it, all around this the mountains went up like stairs or theater seats to a great height except at one narrow end which was open to a view of the sea you could imagine it a council place or concert hall for giants and the rock table in the center the stage for performers or stand for the speaker we asked our guides why it was called the whispering rocks and they said go down into it and we will show you the great bowl was miles deep and miles wide. We scrambled down the rocks, and they showed us how, even when you stood far, far apart from one another, you merely had to whisper in that great place, and every one in the theatre could hear you. This was, the doctor said, on account of the echoes which played backwards and forwards between the high walls of the rock. Our guides told us that it was here in days long gone by when the popsy petals owned the whole of spider monkey island that the kings were crowned the ivory chair upon the table was the throne in which they sat and so great was the big theater that all the indians in the island were able to get seats in it to see the ceremony they showed us also an enormous hanging stone perched on the edge of a volcano's crater the highest summit in the whole island Although it was very far below us, we could see it quite plainly, and it looked wobbly enough to be pushed off its perch with a hand. There was a legend among the people, they said, that when the greatest of all popsy-petal kings should be crowned in the ivory chair, this hanging stone would tumble into the volcano's mouth and go straight down into the center of the earth. The doctor said he would like to go and examine it closer. And when we were come to the lip of the volcano, it took us half a day to get up to it. We found the stone was unbelievably large, as big as a cathedral. Underneath it, we could look right down into a black hole which seemed to have no bottom. The doctor explained to us that volcanoes sometimes spurt up fire from these holes in their tops, but that those on floating islands were always cold and dead. Steuben's, he said, looking up at the great stone towering above
1: us. Do you know what would most likely happen if that boulder should fall in? No, I said. What? You remember the air chamber which the porpoises told us lies under the center of the island? Yes. Well, this stone is heavy enough, if it fell into the volcano, to break through into that air chamber from above. And once it did... The air would escape, and the floating island would float no more. It would sink.
0: But then everybody on it would be drowned, wouldn't they? said Bumpo.
1: Oh, no, not necessarily. That would depend on the depth of the sea where the sinking took place. The island might touch bottom when it had only gone down, say, a hundred feet. But there would be lots of it still sticking above the water then, wouldn't there? Yes, said Bumpo
0: i suppose there would well let's hope that preponderous fragment does not lose its equilibriosity for i don't believe it would stop at the center of the earth more likely it would fall right through the world and come out the other side many other wonders there were which these men showed us in the central regions of their island but i have not the time nor space to tell you of them now descending towards the shore again we noticed that we were still being watched even here among the highlands by the bag jagder who had followed us and when we put to sea once more a boatload of them proceeded to go ahead of us in the direction of popsipetal having lighter canoes they traveled faster than our party and we judged they should reach the village if that was where they were going many hours before we could the doctor was now becoming anxious to see how Long Arrow was getting on, so we all took turns at the paddles and went on traveling by moonlight through the whole night. We reached Popsy Paddle just as the dawn was breaking. To our great surprise, we found that not only we, but the whole village also had been up all night. A great crowd was gathered about the dead chief's house, and as we landed our canoes upon the beach, we saw a large number of old men. "'the seniors of the tribe, coming out at the main door. "'We inquired what was the meaning of all this, "'and we were told that the election of a new chief "'had been going on all through the whole night. "'Bumpo asked the name of the new chief, "'but this, it seemed, had not yet been given out. "'It would be announced at midday. "'As soon as the doctor had paid a visit to Long Arrow "'and seen that he was doing nicely, "'we proceeded to our own house at the far end of the village.' Here we ate some breakfast, and then lay down to take a good rest. Rest, indeed, we needed, for life had been strenuous and busy for us ever since we had landed on the island, and it wasn't many minutes after our weary head struck the pillow that the whole crew of us were sound asleep. End of Part 5, Chapter 8, The Voyages of Dr. Doolittle by Hugh Lofting This recording is in the public domain.